Now, when I heard about ambiverts, I go, they just sound like better human beings than you and I. And so I, I started interviewing some and, and found out there was a couple weaknesses to ambiverts. Mm-hmm. One is they're not as strong at the strengths of an introvert or extrovert as an actual introvert or extrovert. So they don't have the same strengths. And secondly, they're confusing to people. Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast. I'm your host, Michael McKinney. Our guest today is Professor Carl Moore. Dr. Moore is a McGill University professor, an Oxford University associate fellow, and author of the upcoming book, OK Boomer, Working with Millennials and Generation Z. With 12 years of sales and marketing management experience, Carl's been named one of the top four business professors in Canada and one of the world's greatest business thinkers by Business Strategy Review. He hosts a weekly program called the CEO Series, where he interviews global thought and business leaders one-on-one. He's done extensive research on introverts and extroverts and something in between called ambiverts. He has recently presented his research on introverts at Harvard, Oxford, IMD in Switzerland, and the Stanford Business School. Today, we're here to talk to Carl about introverts, extroverts, and ambiverts. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Michael, great to see you. It's been a few years. Nice to uh, sit down with you. Now, before we get started, I've noticed that you're not just a big hockey fan, but a player as well. Is that just part of being Canadian, or is that something you come by quite naturally? Well, it's part of uh, growing up in Toronto. I started playing when I was 9 or 10 years old on a team before that, and our dad used to flood the backyard as a California, so you wouldn't understand this, in the winter, and then we'd skate, and so learned to play hockey at a young age and came down played when I went to USC and then uh, later on as a faculty member at Oxford, though the, the standard is very low at Oxford and USC. Um, if we run into a Canadian man, it's a men's team going to Oxford. We say, ask them if they own equipment. If they do, they'll, they will make the team almost certainly. But uh, Lester Pearson, the airport in Toronto is named after him, a former prime minister, played. Mark Carney, the head of the Bank of England, a Canadian as well, played. So we get a lot of... Uh, well-known Canadian men end up playing, but it's uh, a team that's easy to make if you played much at all before. Well, that's very interesting. Flooding the backyard, that's uh, very different for me. Okay, to begin, what motivated you to begin studying introverts and extroverts? Well, a couple of things. One is that uh, I read a book in our men's group. It was called Introverts in the Church. And it was just saying is that Christianity in the U.S. and Canada, to some degree, is for extroverts, where you got to talk to strangers and so on, which uh, doesn't work for a lot of people, particularly introverts. But the biggest thing is I, I read a book called Quiet by Susan Cain, who it's a, a New York Times bestseller, came out about eight or, eight or nine years ago. And I reviewed it for my Forbes blog, Michael, and it got over 60,000 views, 10, 20 times normal. Wow. And clearly the world was interested. And the next night I had my CEO class at McGill and there was a guy named Claude Mangeau, CEO of CN, 24,000 people, train company headquartered here in Montreal. And I never asked anyone before. And I said, Claude, are you an introvert or extrovert? And he went on for about 10 minutes in a quiet way about being an introvert. The second CEO was an introvert. And this is contrary to what I had read in the literature. The literature about executives said that essentially almost all executives are extroverts. But it was based on anecdotal data. No one had ever actually talked to CEOs in, in numbers about it. So I started asking the CEOs that come on my radio show and my class. And I probably talked to 70 to 80 CEOs a year. And to my surprise, there was a lot more introverts than I anticipated. And so that got me thinking about writing a book. And I'm probably about 70% done writing it now. 
So uh, All Being Well will be out next year. And I've written some articles along the way and got a, a bunch of press coverage as well. All right. So let's drill down a little bit here. And if you could tell us exactly what are introverts, ambiverts, and extroverts? Well, the central construct, according to the literature, is your response to stimulation. So it's not about being shy or being really outgoing or things like that. It's a, your response to stimulation. And so introverts love people, love being with people. But when they get too much stimulation, they can't take it anymore. And they take introvert breaks to recharge. So they do things like walk the dog, listen to Mozart, sit and read a book. And so extroverts love stimulation, much more positive response to it. In fact, if they don't get enough stimulation, they take something, uh, an extrovert break. So when I read through the literature, there was introvert breaks, but zero about extrovert breaks. And I said, that's just not fair as an extrovert. How come they get breaks and we don't? And it reflected that I sit in my office, ironically writing a book about introverts for a couple of hours. After a couple of hours, I can't take it anymore. Michael, do you hear the pain in my voice? (laughs) So I go downstairs one floor to where I have an endless supply of undergraduates that I'm teaching, giving grades to admittedly. So there's a self-interest in them talking to me, but they seem genuinely happy to have a senior prof come down and chat with them. And some of them, if they've been in my class and heard this lecture, will go extrovert break and tease me. But what I do is I take extrovert breaks. When I travel without my wife and kids, so I'm down in Toronto this week, um, if I eat in a restaurant, I'll go and eat at the bar to talk to total strangers rather than sit and read a book. Now, I read books, not to boast or anything, but it's a matter of uh, after being by myself on the train for some hours, I'll sit and talk to someone at the bar just to get stimulation. So the central thing is do you look for and what's your response to stimulation? Now, Harvard did a study some years ago where they looked at four-month-old babies who uh, even in the States, certainly in Canada, babies at four months don't talk. And they tested their response to stimulation and followed them for decades. And it was a reasonably strong predictor that as a four-month-old baby, it would, and if you're extrovert or introvert, then you would be as an adult, which suggests it's somewhat in our DNA. It's our hardwiring to some degree. So to some degree, nature made us that way. C'est la vie. Be comfortable. Enjoy being who you are. It's the way you are. Don't get too wound up about it. Now, that's for kind of, you know, all of us. Now, I'm looking at executives. And what I'm arguing is the title of my book is We're All Ambiverts Now. What it's saying is for executives, you've got an ambivert is someone who acts like an introvert at times and an extrovert at other times. So there, what I'm saying is, as a senior executive, there's times you've got to shut up and listen and not be your extroverted self. Because if you go to a room where we're discussing strategy, I go to the room, Michael, with what I have in my head about what our strategy should be. But I want to learn from you and Mark and the other people in the room. So I, I've got to be quiet and listen and say, hey, Michael, what do you think? And then hear you and hear Mark and go around the room. At the end, I'm CEO, happy thought. I get to decide the strategy. But what's in my head has evolved during that conversation. And it's evolved partly because I listened. Where if I walk in and start spouting off and getting excited right away as a typical extrovert, people are going to go, that's why you're boss. I love it. And they're not going to contribute their ideas to the same degree. So you have to act like an introvert to be an effective leader. Other times you got to act like an extrovert. So you get in the elevator and Claude Mangeau from CN mentioned early, he got a coach who said, when you get in the elevator in the morning, instead of going, ignoring people and looking at your feet and saving us $100,000 in the six floors to get up to the, the C-suite, say, good morning, Mark. 
I recognize your name. I say good morning. I say something like a nice day out there. It's cold. And, you know, I'm not I'm not going to get I'm going to say something you're going to agree with and say, Mike, your presentation of the board killed it last week. What a great job you did. Thank you very much. Get off the elevator. Because that's what a senior executive does is recognize people, acknowledge them and say something nice to them. So you've got to act like an introvert at times, an extrovert at other times, be an effective ex- uh, executive. And that's what an ambivert does. Now, now, when I heard about ambiverts, I go, they just sound like better human beings than you and I. And so I, I started interviewing some and, and found out there was a couple weaknesses to ambiverts. Mm-hmm. One is they're not as strong at the strengths of an introvert or extrovert as an actual introvert or extrovert. So they don't have the same strengths. And secondly, they're confusing to people. Because people like uh, I travel with students and we were over in Tokyo last trip and I was in the lobby away from people. And a couple of students came up to me because they know I'm an extreme extrovert and said, "Uh, Carl, are you you all right? They assumed if I wasn't with people, I must be sick because it was out of character. We're an ambivert. We can't predict what they're going to do. And so they kind of are confusing to most people and they throw us off a bit. So being an ambivert is is something we aspire to. But I recognize my hardwiring is that of an extrovert. So I learn to be like an introvert at times, but recognize there's limits to how long I can do that for. It seems like it might be better than to be one or the other, but learn to be the other when necessary. Absolutely. And I'm just saying is that senior leaders, that's part of the role. The expectation of a CEO of of a big organization is that they're going to be friendly and talk to people. I interviewed General Stanley McChrystal. Four-star general, written a lot of great books. And he said he was a huge introvert. I said, General McChrystal, you're a four-star. When you walk into a room back in the day, literally the room might rise, like the whole room. Like, we know you're there. And he said, yeah, but I, I learned to act like it. But I also would take an extrovert general who could help me work the room. And I could step back and not have to be the center of attention all the time. So he learned to deal with being an introvert at a very senior level in the military by having a wingman an extroverted wingman, if you would, might be a woman sometimes, and to just act the part, but recognize there's limits to how long I can do this for. Right, right. I, you know, it's been said that the 20th century made extroverts normative. The idea being that if you're going to be successful, you better be an extrovert. And it would seem that everything is geared to turn everybody into an expert, education, society, parents, and I would argue that it's always been that way since most people picked out of a crowd to lead seem to be anyway extroverts because they're the most noticeable. And uh, those that were introverts adapted the ways of the extrovert for a time to get things done that they needed to get done. And this would seem to play into your thinking that today that all leaders need to be ambiverts. Well, it's interesting because you look at American history, my grandparents on both sides were on the farm, one in Saskatchewan, one in a lumber camp in northern Ontario where you weren't with people. And one reason people went to church on Sunday was just to see other human beings. I mean, they may have, they were believers, but they went there just to see people. It was all six days a week, you're stuck at the farm with your immediate family. And so what happened is when people moved from the country to the city, uh, there's a famous book, Dale Cargany, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He wrote it 70 years ago. It's still a bestseller, even though he's been dead for decades. Is there a shift in American and Canadian society and European to some degree as well? from the rural to the big city. And the skill sets you needed to be successful in the big city are different than being on the farm with your family. And so there was a shift from the more introverted farmer 
lifestyle to more extroverted, the sales person, the person getting out there and, and winning friends and influencing people. And that, that was a shift we saw in America. And it kind of led to this false ideal of the extrovert as the only leader. I think it's always been an untrue, but in the last 10 years, particularly since Susan's book's been published, we've kind of backed off that idea and calmed down a little bit about it and saying, um, you can have the quiet CEO, and I've interviewed dozens of them, and, and they can be more effective at times than the noisy, big, charismatic, extroverted CEO that depending on the context and what they're trying to accomplish, both can have strengths and both have weaknesses as well. Now, you know, we've been talking about uh, basically, you know, CEOs or top leadership positions, that kind of thing. But there are people would tell you that I don't want a leadership title or I don't want to move up the ranks, so to speak, climb the ladder. I just want to stay the way I am doing what I'm doing. But if you believe, as I do, that everyone has a leadership responsibility, then shifting at times to be more of an ambivert is an important insight for everyone, whether you want to climb the ladder, or whether you don't. So this would apply to basically anyone doing anything. It's interesting because I, I've talked to auditors, partners at audit, uh, auditing firms like E&Y and DWC and so on. The role of an auditor, and our son had just finished a master's in data analytics here at McGill, of the AI program I'm on the board of a small AI company, Michael. I don't want them to be working the crowd and schmoozing very much. There's a point where you want your auditor to audit, get in the books, uh, and they're now spreadsheets, not literal books. and you want your AI programmers well to program. So there's something where we need the salespeople to be more outgoing at times. And we need, but we need people that's main job is heads down doing what they're supposed to do because that's how they're going to provide value to the organization. Now, it's interesting in salespeople, we always thought they're extroverts, but Adam Grant, who's a rock star professor warden, did a study about 12 years ago with a couple of people at uh, Harvard Business School, and they found out the best salespeople are ambiverts because the first half of a sales call, which I was taught at IBM years ago now, of a structured sales call, is to listen to the customer and understand their needs and what they're trying to accomplish within the venue of what you're selling. Then if the happy you know occasion is that what you are selling is relevant for them, you go, then you're excited about your product and it helps solve their needs. So a good salesperson acts like an introvert and listens and pays a lot of attention at times, but is also excited like an extrovert about their product. And again, introverts can be very good teachers, very excited because they know what they're talking about. They're enthusiastic. So if you know, I mean, as a good salesperson, you'd really know your product. You would love it. They can be excited about it, enthusiastic, not because of themselves, but because of the genuine love for their product and genuine value it's bringing to their clients. Harvard professor Joseph Badaracco wrote in a book titled Leading Quietly that the most effective leaders are rarely public heroes. These men and women aren't high-profile champions of causes and don't want to be. They don't spearhead ethical crusades. They move patiently, carefully, and incrementally. They do what is right for their organizations, for the people around them, and for themselves, inconspicuously and without casualties. Now, in what seems like an extroverted world, he seems to be placing a value on qualities more associated with introversion. While it seems that introverts are less in the moment than they are quietly thinking about where the moment is going, I don't think these introvert-sounding leaders could do what he's suggesting without a bit of extroversion. 
they sound more like ambiverts. Am I reading that right? Yes, Michael, that's why I take it as well, that they're more ambiverts. That, But there is quieter leaders, which are great, because that's what's required at the time. And it's not about them. It's not calling attention to themselves. We're not saying, oh, well, the charisma of this person is so stunning. It just the rest of us just kind of bows and go by. That to your point, that leadership is about other people accomplishing things to a very large degree. So if you're empowering them, if you're helping them see their value and their gifts, and, and that is a big part of leadership to my mind. So that is kind of less of a focus on yourself and more on the other person right. is what I think is an element of great leadership in today's world, which in some ways introverts might have a bit of an advantage to, but extroverts can learn to do that as well. Yeah. Okay. So we've determined that we have a proclivity to be one or the other, perhaps even somewhat hardwired into our, our being. And we understand there are times that we need to become more of one or the other. In other words, an ambivert. How do we become more of an ambivert? Do we accept how we are as an absolute truth or do we have use that insight as a just a starting point? I think it's a starting point because most of the research done on introverts and extroverts was have been done by psychology professors who've tested uh, undergrads. Business professors, we have an endless supply of undergrads we can test as long as we don't, you know, as electric shock or something. But I'm more interested in people literally the age of their parents because C-suite executives are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and they've evolved since they were 20. And part of that evolution is if you're a leader, you know, you look at a four-star general as a leader every step of the way, or he or she wouldn't get promoted. I interviewed the most senior woman general in Canada a couple of weeks ago, and she was literally promoted because of leadership and other qualities, but leadership was central along the way. And if you're a CEO or senior executive, you've demonstrated leadership. So that's something that you've shown through it that way and you've changed and evolved as a person because of the requirements of what you're doing. Now, if you're a heads down AI programmer and you've done it for 10 or 15 years, that's great. We pay you a lot of money. We love you. But you've evolved differently than someone who became the AI manager, then became the vice president and became a CEO of an AI company. But you've got to go see finance people. You've got to go talk to the bank. You've got to talk to venture capitalists. You've got to go out there and pitch the company with a considerable enthusiasm. Because if you're flat, people are going to go like, she doesn't even believe in it. Why would I do this? Right. So there's a matter of the role you take on. Now, it's interesting because when I, when I talk to parents, my wife teaches grade five, that around grade three, when you take your kid to school, you lose your name. You're no longer Michael, you're Mark's dad. Now, if you get upset about that, we say, uh, the rest of the parents go, grow up, Mike. In this context, Mark's more important in grade three than you are. And we know you're bigger, you make more money, you have more education, you win on every level other than cuteness compared to a grade three child, you know, grade three child. But in that context, they're more important than you are. And if you have a spouse, she or he is more important at their work than you are. So calm down, step back. And that's just part of leadership. There's a time to be up front and center, but there's a time to step back. And particularly as we get older, we honor the young people and say, you know, thanks for this award, but it's something I absolutely share with these people. Without them, I couldn't have done it. So when I talk about my radio show, I rightly praise the scriptwriter, the producer, because I can't do it without them. Mm -hmm. And I've got enough praise that let them be front and center a bit. It's right. called maturity and growing up. Now, we've kind of entered a new age in the workplace where there's just a lot of hybrid work or remote work. And so I'm wondering, how does that affect the introvert, extrovert, ambivert dynamic now that we're looking at 
that kind of a workplace? Well, I found it very irritating. I, I write a blog for Forbes and 10 days in, like the end of March, two years ago, I said, I can't take it anymore. That was 10 days in. So you can imagine, you know, a year of being in lockdown. I wouldn't be going down to McGill in a almost empty building to teach on Zoom in a classroom so I could go downtown and run into people I know, you know, wearing a mask and fully socially distanced, all that good stuff. But I just, you know, wanted to get out of the house and out of the neighborhood. I miss, and I go to work most days, I'm about 16, 17 minute commute, walking and taking the subway for three minutes. So it's a minor commute. And I, but there's a lot of people working from home, but I think we're missing a cultural element. We're missing friendships to some degree, social cohesion at work. And a big question, which I'm talking to my students about, is how does an organization teach you their culture if you're just working from home, there's some things you can do, but part of culture is that, you know, you're there and you see your boss dealing with something, you go over and ask her, how do you do this? And there's a back and forth that we teach you how to be in my day an IBMer. And it's harder to do that in today's world when you're always remote, but there's a lot of people very happy with small kids, not having to commute an hour and a half each way every day and, and extra time with the family and being able to, you know, hand the kid off to their partner will they have a meeting and then take the kid back and be a better parent so there's some real positives but as an extrovert i miss it and we're wrestling some real issues and when the ceos of the hundred or so i've talked to since the pandemic about how do we transmit culture sometimes you need to be in the same room if it's at all safe yeah i i agree with that and i think that's a problem that some of these ceos are trying to address even though sometimes they don't say it in quite the right way and they get attacked for it it, it just it's something where I think it's human, particularly for extroverts to want to be with people and the stimulation that comes from it. And I think we're genuinely missing them things by not being at work. But on the other hand, you know, I know some people, uh, Bombardier, a big company here in Montreal, has hired uh, the CIO, told me you hired someone in Winnipeg and someone in Halifax, a couple hours flight away, and they'll live there. But it allowed them to find people that were hard to find. And they're happy to come to Montreal once a month for a couple of days because they're in smaller towns. So go to the big city. I remember when I was working for Hitachi, I get to the Silicon Valley once a month from Toronto. It was not a hardship to go down in January, February, March and April, particularly enjoy the warm weather. So it, it's some people find great pleasure in that, but there's some limits to what it can do. And it does not help everyone. That's for sure. All right. I've got one final question for you. I know you're working on a new book. So I'm just asking, what's next for you? If we were to meet up a year from now with a bottle of champagne, what would we be celebrating? Well, I think the book will be done then. So that'd be great. And the Generation Z book is with the publisher. We're getting down to the final copy editing. So it's all very irritating. But I, the book after that is one I'm working on with a uh, prophet, well, a guy at Cornell who looks after exec ed there. He's an old friend of mine from Duke, bit of a sports nut. And we're looking at in basketball or hockey, whatever sport, you go from playing college ball to the NBA, the game speeds up. And a question for an athlete is how do you slow the game down? And part of it is you're going, I'm playing with the most famous player in the world and he's passing me the ball. It's unbelievable. So that book is saying in the corporate world, there's five times you've got a, the game changes. So we have a Gates model where we're saying the game changes, the arena changes, the team who you play with, the end zone, how we measure you changes from sales to sales manager, and the self changes. So that's 
the book I'll be excited about writing a year from now. And uh, I play sports and uh, my co-author plays sports and we've coached a bit. So it's exciting to bring that sports analogy to the business world. And we've interviewed some famous uh, people, Ken Dryden, uh, won six Stanley Cup rings, you know, some people like that. And he's interviewing some basketball players and baseball players as well. And it's this theme of how do you slow the game down, but we're applying it to the corporate world. So that's what I'm excited about these days. Well, Carl, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. And thank you for sharing your work on introverts and extroverts and ambiverts. My pleasure, Michael. And uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. You've been listening to the Leadership Now podcast. Our guest today was Carl Moore, professor at McGill University. You can find out more about Carl and his work at Carl Moore, that's K-A-R-L-M-O-O-R-E dot org. Join us next time for more insights on leadership and personal growth to help you lead like never before. Mm-hmm.